Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Growing Forward Together. My name is Kenita Stripsma, and I'm the founder and CEO of SEMA Global Consulting, LLC, and an international speaker and author. We are an organization that is passionate about promoting inclusion through group workshops, leadership development, and transformational coaching for individuals who want to grow forward in healthy ways. For more information on what we do at SEMA Global Consulting, please visit our website at www.semaglobalconsulting.com and drop me a note at the contact page. I would love to hear from you. While you're there, you will have the opportunity to subscribe to my blog as well. So for the past few months, I've tried my hand at podcasting and like every good leader and entrepreneur, we continue to learn and innovate. So I will be recording interviews going forward with individuals who have either responded to my blogs and have some intriguing things to add to the subject or other amazing individuals I have met along the way in building SEMA Global, and I want to share them with you. So today, I'm so excited to share this moment with you because I will be interviewing an incredibly special individual. Given the turmoil-filled season that we are in in this country right now and that the whole world is going through, I feel like this interview has been a divine appointment in the making for such a time as this. My guest and I met during an online panel discussion that we both attended. And as we connected in the chat section, we knew that there was more conversation to be had. We also have a heart for being mindful about setting the table as it relates to culture and relationships. You will find a blog on my website with the same title, and that sparks this conversation. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Okechuku Kalichi Enya, and he goes by Oke. Oke's bio is pretty extensive. I was pretty honored to read it, but there were a few things that jumped out that were really stellar. In regards to setting the table, his space in his journey is based on his experience as a conscious black male in a variety of communities that he is a member of in the form of policy, education, and as a professional writer. Part of his current business model is centered on sharing ways to maintain your authentic self at any table. That's where we made the connection. Oke is the oldest of six children to Nigerian immigrants. He grew up in the south side of Chicago, and I'm really excited for you to share with our listeners how you made it all the way up to Capitol Hill for the past six years. He took the MCAT four times and finally passed. What tenacity and perseverance. Congratulations again. Oke was part of a 20-month policy and training leadership development program for the Congregational Black Caucus Foundation Fellowship under the presidency of former President Barack Obama. He did a six-month fellowship for Black people called The Next Narrative for Black America with BME Vanguard Social Determinants of Health Fellow. I'm learning some big words today. (laughs) And last but not least, O.K. is a published author of the book, Indisputable, The Story of a Favored Son. Be sure and let our listeners know in a few minutes where they can find your book. Currently, OK works for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on Capitol Hill in the Washington, D.C. area. What an honor it is to have you here today. Given your extensive bio, I also want my listeners to know that your humility and gracious spirit draws me in to learn even more about you. So welcome, OK. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm blessed uh, to have this opportunity. Thank you so much. Appreciate You're very it. Welcome. Um, so, can we just dive right in? Can you um, help our listeners understand a little bit more about what does it mean to set the table in your line of work? Could you expand a little bit more on that? Sure. So, I'm a former House and Senate staffer on Capitol Hill, and I'm usually going to be the one of only only a few uh, black men or conscious black men in the room when we are discussing policy and thinking about drafting legislation. And so, um, and even prior to that, going to a predominantly white uh, white institution for medical school, uh, and also going to a predominantly white institution for college, uh, with the major that I had, I was a bio and biochemistry major, you know, usually um, in, in those contexts, I was gonna be one of a few. So I've, that's part of my life story is frankly being one of a few. Um, and but what kept me grounded was my family upbringing and the and the communities that I have been intentional about about creating and fostering that have helped me to get to where I am today. And so, 
when, when we talk about finding a seat at the table, part of what that entails for me is um, uh, discovering who and who you are. And that takes uh, time and intentionality and, um, and community and being willing to, to read incessantly and to educate yourself. And so for me, um, for example, on the house side of Capitol Hill, as it relates to people of color or, um, or um, um, staffers of color, there are about 14% um, on the house side in terms of top house staffers of color. Um, and then on the Senate side, there are about 5% uh, of top Senate staffers are black. Right, so, um, and you kind of think about that within the context of the the proportional disparities um, where, um, you know, while black people make up 30% of the US population, um, that is not commensurate with the number of staffers at the, at the highest levels who are responsible for helping to draft policy in terms of impact and influence. And so um, part of my passion has become because I've had the blessing and, and the privilege of getting to the table, um, part of what that means or meant is the fact that I, I've had the blessing and the privilege of um, learning how to navigate very astutely in spaces that frankly weren't built with me in mind. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn how to kind of navigate as a chameleon of sorts where you know, I know how to, I know I've learned how to present myself in certain ways, particularly as a, frankly, as a tall, dark-skinned, conscious black male, mm -hmm. which, 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 which means a lot. Um, yes. And, and so um, because I've been able to get to the table, I, I've, I've also developed a passion for um, strengthening and lengthening the pipeline for staffers of color to get to Capitol Hill. And so, for example, in my current business model, part of it is centered on um, strengthening and strengthening and lengthening the pipeline um, for, for, for people of color to get onto Capitol Hill, to get into those key positions that are responsible uh, for, for crafting policy. So part of the strategy then is once you get there, it's the next step or the pivot then is how do you advocate effectively in ways that can um, that can create opportunities to uh, to connect with allies or to go further co-conspirators meaning like don't just be a friend or an ally and name only but actually be willing to to partner with me and um, cut across the finish line mm. you know with me in tow so those are from from a political, from a sociopolitical standpoint. Um, that's how I, I can frame, you know, kind of how I how how I envision uh, coming to a seat at the table, and, and also add this, um, um, just to pause uh, to, to park rather is my whole business model is is centered around the phrase how to secure your seat at the decision making table, and so all of my content um, that I've either created or or have curated is centered around that thing and that framework that approach that's great thank you for sharing that there's so much there so much good stuff um and i applaud the hard work that you're doing to be on the front lines right and that's been really encouraging to hear that as well i think a lot of people need to know what does it look like on the front lines and you're describing to us from a very um like a political position on how to be on the front lines and what does that look like Right. Um, you know, how does how does a guy like you get from Chicago to Capitol Hill? Like that's got to be an exciting adventure on some level. But yeah. you know, what drives you? What got you there? Um, you know, you, you yeah, you've you've seen a lot of adversity, as your book talks about, which I still need to finish reading. Um, but just you know, you talk a lot about adversity, and so just um, thinking more about what, how did you get from Chicago to um, Capitol Hill? Right. So uh, I guess I can perhaps maybe plug my book. Um, at, at this juncture <laughs> um, and say that, so my book is entitled Indisputable, The Story of a Favorite Son. Um, and I self-published my first book in 2018. I launched it uh, on my birthday um, in 2018. It took me 90 days to write the book and over, it took me about 40 writing hours. Um, and, um, and so, yes, 
it's my life story from childhood, high school, college, grad school, med school, Capitol Hill, and, and now um, into author entrepreneurship. And so it's a very transparent read. It, I, I chronicle my uh, roots from my great great grandparents to my great grandparents to my grandparents, my parents, and I just kind of track my own upbringing from childhood and I talk about my life experiences. Um, you know how I grew up, the culture. The you know I'm I'm from the from the I'm from the Yibo tribe, which is one of the three main tribes um, in Nigeria. I know how to speak my language, Igbo. I know how to cook native food, right? So I think having those cultural um, that 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 cultural kind of upbringing has also helped to serve as a protective factor or a or a buffer when it comes to being able to navigate different spaces where I am in a minority, right? Mm. So because part of it is um, knowing again, who and, who and who she were both culturally and spiritually. And so um, my book, you, you can find it on Amazon and, and Kindle. It's also on my website, um, um, Enya Strategies, that's E-N-Y-I-A strategies.com. And so, I was on a book tour actually before COVID hit and I was you know, really doing all the podcasts and the interviews and things like that. So so now what I've done to make the pivot as well is to, and this was this was part of what I was already doing prior, uh, pre-COVID was to take a lot of my, the content from my book and to digitize it and, and to monetize it, right? So right now I already have on my website, which is courses.anusstrategies.com um, you, you can find a boatload of free content and also some content that I've priced out. So um, I have a few books that I've already kind of done and I've uploaded to my website and I envision, of course, writing more. Um, and so, you know, you might ask, well, you know, what kind of drove you to write the book? Well, um, I, I uh, kind of growing up, I didn't necessarily envision myself as a writer or as a as an author. I, um, I did have, have the blessing of, of of seeing my dad, who who is a retired professor, who who has written several books, I I, I had his model, which helped I think. But even back then, when, when I would see him, like, it wasn't a thing for me. I was kind of focused on becoming a um, a medical doctor, and I wasn't necessarily thinking about you know writing. So um, when I moved from Chicago on the South Side uh, to Capitol, and and there's a whole story behind it that you have to check out my book to you know to find out more in detail. Um, but um, it was a it was a miraculous experience, um, and very and it was God ordained. And um, part of the strategy was to because I, I had actually begun journaling about a decade ago, and much of what is in the book came from my journal. So I was able to chronicle how God, you know, as a Christian a man, how God spoke to me at different in different ways and in, in different circumstances and from different people mm-hmm. to encourage me to confirm to me um, my assignment and my purpose and destiny and things that, that I'll be doing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's uh, coming from the South South Chicago, you know, and, and to Capitol Hill, I am a scholar activist, a policymaker, um, and an author entrepreneur. And, I, and I'm always going to be um, tied to my roots. I, I, you know, I, I come from a grassroots background. My parents, my siblings, all of them are, you know, we're all activists, scholars, policy people, educators, ministers. So it's just, it's in our blood, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the heritage that I carry. That's beautiful. I really enjoyed seeing your family picture. It just had so much story with your whole family and in, in the, in your African garb. And it was so beautiful. It just, there were chapters and chapters and chapters of story that were coming from that one picture. And that was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, so if you think about young men that are growing up in Chicago these days and how it's it's beyond stressful, right? Over the top, we, we probably can have like five more podcasts together to kind of help listen to and unpack a lot of what's probably going on in your head and how you can you know serve folks in this way. But how does a young black man growing up in Chicago um, kind of really, you know, even consider dreaming about being 
on Capitol Hill, right? Is there is there any way you can, you know, give us a snapshot of what that looks like? Like, who were your mentors? Who who did you look up to? Yes, your family. That was really quality. And I love how a couple times you've said, it's not just who you are, but whose you are. That's something that we've often said to our kids as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it does help when you have models or examples that you grew up with that you mm-hmm. that that you can emulate. Um, and I also had the blessing of when I went to college. Um, you know, I I joined a fraternity in my sophomore year, and these were men of of high caliber, high moral character. Um, they were leaders on campus, and so they actually served as they served in a, in a variety of ways for me. And one was to connect with something bigger than me. Um, as a as and for context, uh, my fraternity is Alpha Phi Alpha, and it's the same fraternity that Dr. Martin Luther King was a member of. Mm. So, so that's the kind of the the, the type of legacy and history um, that I that I saw with the brothers on my campus and around the world, um, in fact. And so I was able to connect with some mentors there, you know, brothers who looked like me um, and who were doing phenomenal things on and off campus. And, you know, and the my fraternity also gave me an outlet to give back to my community. You know, we believe in scholarship and servanthood and giving back and, you know, just um, all of those things and so it was easier for me to really um, leverage that brotherhood uh, and, and that support in ways that helped me to get through school and this is a lifelong thing for me and so as I you know even after I graduated from college you know we have alumni chapters around the world so I, I'm, I'm active with a chapter here in Maryland where I live and you know, again, brothers uh, from all walks of life. Uh, even now, as I'm pursuing my doctorate, I have key fraternity brothers who are serving as my advisors and my mentors. And so, um, it's part of it is really being intentional. And I, again, I'm blessed to have the social capital and the cultural capital to do this. But it is about being very intentional at very strategic points along the way to build out your your dream team or, or to find your tribe, to find your people, to find your audience, to find those, you know, who can pour, pour into you. I have a spiritual mentor who, who, um, who I follow for the past uh, decade, um, who has literally prophesied what I would be doing right now. Mm. Um, and so again, I think, you know, having that spiritual, uh, heritage, the inheritance, and then also um, having people in my life to come in at, at certain points to literally speak life back into me when I was depressed and, and anxiety and trauma and fears and all types of challenges and adversities, obstacles and barriers, you know, somehow, you know, God, um, you know, God, God uses life to train the people that he has called to change the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so I Part of the way that I've chosen to to conceptualize this is the fact that you know if God allows it, then it has to bless you. And and it, and this also comes from Romans eight twenty eight, where it talks about, and we know that all things work together for good for those who have been called according to His purpose. And so that's always been my kind of my grounding uh, scripture, or at least one of them. And that's what I've used to keep going. You know, so. That's great. I'm hearing um, really strong culture, really strong faith in your family, um, guidance and being intentional, seeking mentors that were in that space that you wanted to be in, right? And so in essence, they weren't bailing you out, but they were pulling you up into that space and you were following. And I think on some level, that's also the Christian faith, right? Like God leads and we follow. And uh, so I'm thankful that you've had those people in your life. And I love how you said dream team. Um, I often will say, you know, um, teamwork makes the dream work. Right. (laughs) And if you have the right people on your team, then the dreams are achievable. Absolutely. Um, Are you willing to share a few of your adverse moments that you've experienced over the years? Because I'm still, I keep seeing this little boy from Chicago, not you necessarily, but, you know, in my (laughs) imagination, who's saying, I'm not going to make it. This is hard. This is really challenging. I I don't fit. I don't belong. this is just really a difficult space that I'm born into, right? These young men that we're thinking of, just in picture and thought. 
and maybe yeah. personally? Sure. So I'll try to share succinctly. So, I mean, I can maybe start from um, my um, experience trying to get into med school. You mentioned that I took the MCAT four times, right? And so it took me the, the better part of a decade to get into med school. And I took the, as I was mentioned, I took the MCAT four times and I, and I applied to med school three times before finally getting into med school. And, you know, part of it was, um, the, uh, um, the the barriers uh, to the test. The test um, is not necessarily designed um, uh, in a culturally competent or a culturally sensitive way in terms of the, the types of questions and kind of how they're asked. And so most most people of color uh, find it uh, challenging to take standardized tests, whether that's the ACT, SAT, LSAT, GRE, whatever. And so, in fact, for example, with the GRE from, from my doctoral program, I actually, before, I had to take it, I think it was three or four times, and I applied to doctoral programs, I think three or four times before finally getting into my current program. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I started that process in 2015. So, um, you know, there's a whole systemic, you know, thing um, around the educational system, the academic system, um, you know, writ large, that makes it much more of a challenge for people of color um, to really kind of crack that 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 ceiling or to kind of, to try to get in. Um, and and so you know, it was I was there, there. There were times where you know, after after the third time that I applied to med school, you know, I was I was despondent. You know, there were seasons of depression. I didn't know what to do. I was numb, scared. I was I was disappointed. I was doubtful. Um, you know, so I, I spanned a whole range of emotions and, but every time I had gone through those types of adversities, somehow or another God would send people or God mm -hmm. would speak to me personally, or there will be, you know, life would, life would kind of shift where there was something greater. And it was the Holy Spirit telling me that, there, that, that I have something greater for you, even though that, you know, I know that this is hard and challenging, but I'm, but I am yet preparing you for what's ahead. And, and so to fast forward, even in, in the various kind of cohort type type of programs that I've done in, in different summers and over the past, you know, the, the kind of more recently, I've, I've never really fit in. You know, I've just always been different. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, and not to be judgmental, but I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do, you know, so like kind of being like from a social standpoint and just as a, as a man of faith who just has made conscious decisions to, you know, to mature, and to live out the call that God um, has for me, you know, those, those things will, will make you stand out. So my, you know, you know, and I guess I'm part of what I'm also trying to say is that from a spiritual standpoint, my anointing, my grace, my mantle, my assignment is parallel to Joseph the dreamer and Daniel the prophet, right? Mm -hmm. those, those two gentlemen in terms of who they were, what they went through, their, their assignments, their mandate, their influence, their, their impact, that is that those that is the framework or the reference that has helped to keep me sane and, and solid and stable and focused and driven to fulfill what the Lord has called me to do. And so, um, you know, even, you know, kind of more recently, this past spring, um, you know, in my program, you know, I am one of two black males in my cohort of 30 and I'm and there are three black females in my cohort and I'm frankly I'm the pro-black male in my cohort and so um and I'm and I'm in and frankly an anti-black environment you know where wow. my very presence and what I'm doing research on is literally speaking truth to power and it and it and it and it smacks the face of the power structure in that program because I'm studying the health and well-being of black men and boys in terms of race, gender, equity, and policy. And because I go to a PWI, like that's like, who does that? You know, and how did you get in, into this program? Well, yeah. it's not me per se, but you know, God, the way that God moved and he orchestrated um, and me staying focused and using my life experience had, you know, helped me to, to get to this place where, you know, um, this is where he he has planted me, and so if he has planted me, you know he is going to make sure, in some way, shape, or form, that that I complete the degree. And with and because even this last semester was like, like a lot of warfare, a lot of racial stuff happening, and just so 
So that's and and I'm and I get it. You know, I'm there for a reason, and you know, this is a whole other conversation. But um, I'm being prepared. I guess that's the main takeaway: is that with with what I'm with what I'm being exposed to, and you know, all of those all of those things. Even now, with the with the uprising in yeah. America on behalf of black men and black women being gunned down and you know this so wrong. years of mm. racial tension and structural racism manifesting mm. on top of COVID-19 on top of the economy right so oh. all of that uh, all of that so, yeah. yeah oh man yeah it's it's uh it's difficult it's challenging it's ugly and it's uh you know it's the brokenness of humanity on so many mm-hmm. levels um, there's a phrase that a mentor had told me years ago where she said, um, God always shoots straight with a crooked arrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meaning our stories are kind of a crooked arrow, right? Not that yeah. we're crooked people, but we're a crooked, you know, our stories make very, a lot of zigzags and, yeah. and yet he always shoots straight. So you're, you're where you're supposed to be for right now in your story. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's such a great gift for people to hear. Um, just a little bit with me, I actually um, went to nursing school and I failed my boards three times. And so I can relate a lot, but for me, my journey was different. And um, I know that God was calling me to to kind of pivot back then. I didn't know the word, you know, and I, I took a different turn. But today I feel like I'm living my sweet life, my sweet story. And he has, um, you know, definitely led throughout. So I think it's so important that we we be mindful of our decisions and the, the turns we need to take in those spaces right um because we eventually get to those spaces where we feel we feel full we can pour out more um we're paying attention to what is it that god wants and it's becoming clearer and clearer the older we get right Right. um so you know just to kind of piggyback then on what you're saying we kind of opened that that conversation up a little bit about race and um you know with the uprising that's been happening um, and it's against black men. So it really is the Black Lives Matter right now. It's really crucial and not just right now, but I think it's important to continue to say that because the truth is all lives don't matter until even the black lives matter here. Absolutely. And as someone who is not African-American, I'm not black, I'm Indian, East Indian from India, which some people don't seem to understand that it's not Indiana. Um, <laughs> and I'm not Native American, no offense. But you know, um, it's really, it, it is an issue of Black Lives Matter and they need to matter and we need to drill it, drill it, drill it. Mm-hmm. But I guess I would ask you, um, what are some things that you would encourage people to think about at this time? Or how would you encourage others to respond? Maybe that's a really big question and I apologize. Um, I'm glad I sent them to you ahead of time, but yeah. just something to kind of help them uh, reframe or regroup. Um, because it feels like the rioting is getting worse and it sounds like, and not to get, you know, too deep into this, but it sounds like there are some groups that are instigating a lot of that. Um, it's not the peaceful talk. So, so how, um, what encouragement would you give to folks right now about to reframing or how to respond? Sure. Absolutely. So I've been posting, um, over the past uh, few days, in fact, today, and one post that that I've posted on my social media was, is out of pain comes purpose. I saw that you had posted that on uh, LinkedIn. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, and because I'm one that that tends to look at the glass half full, and I and I'm and as a man of faith, as a Christian, as a believer that is spirit filled, I know that you know God, um, God knows what He's doing. Like like you know this whole all that's happened didn't catch my guard, right? I mean, right, like, be, right. You know, and so I think it's important, and and so. You know that that's why, and, and in fact, part of part of the strategy now, or the pivot, is the church has to rise up in in an unprecedented way now. I think the Lord is calling the church now um, outside of the four walls of the church, literally, right? Yep, yep. And so, and I also think that the ways in which ministry is done has to change like like we can't so part of it is knowing your audience knowing your people knowing how to connect with people knowing what language to use and how to minister effectively you don't necessarily have to have to preach uh, or um, beat people's head with a bible right i think it's about uh kingdom principles and and knowing how to be the hands and feet of jesus in very practical non-spooky ways right just Mm -hmm. That's where it is. And so, you know, 
kind of going back to what's happening with with black people and brown people as well is how do we uh, channel this energy that the oppressors um, use into righteous fuel? Mm. Right? How do we channel this energy into righteous fuel? How do we channel this energy into uh, strategies and tactics and, and ways that are sustaining? Because there's a whole rubric, there's a whole strategy around how to better advocate. Like there are there are different types of policy levers um, and advocacy levers that can that that we can pull because the question then becomes okay well after the protest well what's next right right and this isn't anything new like and so part of it and I wrote about this as well I and I I also put together some content that that's, that's on my website anytime.com that that talks about from protest to policy mm. or from demonstration to legislation Right, because once we have kind of tried to sort through our emotions and and the and the rage and anger subsides, well, what's next? I mean, so what kind of practical strategies? What is the plan long term? Right? Because we get you know, at, uh, um, oppressed people, you know, uh, those that are oppressed, we are more challenged with trying to think long game or long term, which we we are we are much more reactionary than proactive. Yes. Um, and it's obviously not our fault, you know, because we are every day we, we we are being sent messages that we are less than, that we're not human, that that we're that we don't matter, right? right? And so, I think you know now that this is a critical time, and I, I think that the Lord has has allowed this uh, obviously to open up um, the ancient as as I heard earlier today the ancient the ancient demonic spirits of racism and bigotry and just the just just these evil because we know as Christians this is a spiritual battle and a spiritual battle is oftentimes more real and more powerful than a natural battle absolutely in a natural that's just a manifestation of what's going on spiritually mm-hmm. so for, so for us as believers who have the blessing to see beyond what's happening in a natural, we have to definitely intercede and pray and and be more strategic. Um, and also, so you know, have faith and work, faith and work, faith yeah. and work. Don't just mm-hmm. pray, but put a plan in action, action items and work and partner with people, support different funds and support different causes and educate, empower, raise awareness, educate, empower, read history you know just so those, those are all some some kind of kind of uh, uh, tips and advice that I've um, either written about or I've posted or have been talking about in my various virtual mediums um, as it relates to black and brown people and um, and faith so yeah that's great thank you for sharing that I think um, you know it was interesting I said this in a previous podcast um, when I was challenging those of us that are in the church um, because four years ago I had had a vision of these vines that were in our church that were growing from the inside of the church out and they were popping bricks off the the sides of the wall and it would have been okay if I was the only one that had that vision but I talked to a more seasoned believer in our church and he had had the same one and so it could be interpreted a bunch of different ways Um, And I had taken it to the leadership saying, we need to prepare differently because this vision, we need to do, you know, these are some things, these are some ways I'd like to empower the leadership. I'd like to help marriages and, you know, kind of do this, that, and the other. And, um, uh, you know, God's timing is always better than mine. And I often will get things wrong and God is God and I am not. But I felt like something was lost in that space because they didn't heed this vision in some way, shape or form. And so now look at us four years later, we've all been relegated to our communities and our homes and many people have been walking around going i don't know how to be the church unless i'm in the building right ouch (laughs) right so i think you're right i think this is a time where people are being challenged to think about what are their core beliefs and how are they actioning them living them out right it's a it's a um and it's an action it's not just a oh i'm gonna post there was a note i made here don't just post about it do something Right? right and don't just speak about it but like live it out absolutely you know faith 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 without works is dead i mean that's that's the word um so 
you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, the hashtags and the, and the social media piece, but, um, but I've always been one of action. Like, okay, at, when that's said and done, um, what are we going to do next? What is the next steps? Right. I yeah. Mean, the, you know, so, yeah. I think, you know, as somebody who is not in the black community, but I stand with the black community because I understand what it means to be a non-white person in this town and in this country to a point, right? My narrative is different, but it's yeah. a similar situation. Um, I get so tired of folks, um, you know, posting scripture, but then in the next breath, you know, um, verbally assaulting, right. you know, powers that be, you know, yeah. in terms of authority and whoever the, um, whoever's in these legal positions, right? Trying to be right. nice and vague. <laughs> How's that for vague? Yeah. Right? So I kind of, you know, I, I guess I want to ask you that question. It's a new question before I get to the, one of our last questions, but sure. just, um, you know, you as a believer, you're in the government, you work for the government. How then does that function? I mean, I, I, I kind of think I know the answer, but I'm gonna let you talk about that for a minute and go, what's that like? What's it like to, to be a believer on the front lines, first of all, but then you think of a context of a, a non-faith environment where government, you know, doesn't mix with church and faith. Yeah, so I've, I, I moved through that transition when I first moved to Maryland in 2014. Uh, okay. Chicago um, and so I knew that that my time was going to shift into my Daniel mm -hmm. um, journey and it, it became much it became very clear very poignant this past semester the spring of 2020 um, as to that yes that is my assignment and, and the warfare that ensued um, you know and I can I can use when they would when the when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, you know, because he stood, because he chose not to compromise and he, he yep. was a man of prayer, right? Yep. And he worked very closely with the governors or, you know, of, um, of his time. And so um, it's, um, I know what my values are, my belief systems um, are. I as well have to continually repent or meaning to change the way that I think about you know, um, leadership and authorities that are in place. Because yes, it's very easy, as we know, to really, you know, cuss out who's you know, running some organization or, or who's running a country, you know, and or just to become bitter and resentful and, 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 and angry, and I get it, you know. Um, but I've also lived long enough to know that God's word is God's word. Mm -hmm. And if, he's, if he says, in his word to pray for those that that are in authority positions well um there are reasons why he wants us to do that um because he's the one that 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 promotes and demotes it's not man but you know if god you know because god knows how to work through anything you know he, right. he is sovereign he knows and, and he's all powerful so but he, he wants us to be co-laborers with him mm -hmm. and to have the right heart posture and and attitude to pray for those in leadership. Um, so yeah, I mean that's kind of how I would you know kind of answer that question. Mm, that's great. So what you're bringing is it's not a passive faith, but it's a you're having an active faith in that space because you're praying over people, you're surrendering in your own story, and you're submitting to God's authority. That'd be really active, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I've you know I've had to learn how to so. Uh, I had to learn how to pivot in a sense of how do I minister effectively with members of Congress and their staff on Capitol Hill and with other high high power powerful people who might not be Christian, right? right. You know, right. they're human. I mean, yep. and they need to hear kingdom principles, uh, and and they look for people who are um, have integrity and. Again, it's not about leading with your um, with your spirituality. It's about okay, what is the current context? Who like who is this person? How can and uh, being led by the Spirit at, in terms of wisdom as to and asking the Lord, um, how do I best connect with this person or these people? Yeah. When? Um, what should I say? How should I say it? when should i say it right it's mm -hmm. just at that very granular level is where real ministry takes place yeah i i can totally relate i find myself in a lot of situations that are outside the church and with people that are not believers 
And mm-hmm. I love those conversations because I get to actually feel God's love pour out in those conversations. And I know yeah. that the Lord has called us to love one another, right? First, love God with all our soul, heart, mind, and strength, and then love each other, love our neighbors as ourselves. And mm-hmm. until we embrace his love, we can't really pour that out, right? I'm often saying, you can't give what you don't have. Exactly. And so in that context, it's an opportunity for us to encourage and empower and pour out that love um, that we've been so graciously given, right? And take a step back. I often will say this too, take a step back, put grace in the space. And it allows us to understand that that person's coming from a completely different space, but they need love. They want love. Like these are some core things that they need and we can give it to them, right? And then we get to experience unity and a better form of inclusion, if you will, right? And we're connecting heart to heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, okay, so I dropped the word inclusion, right? So inclusion is about collaboration and cooperation. Do you have any Do you have any tips and tools that you would recommend in helping our communities grow in that area? Right? So as yeah. a Indian woman who can do my work in inclusion, I bring a different voice to the table. But you as right. a conscious black male in society today, what are some ways that you can offer people to think about inclusion in a different way? Right, so I, I'm, I'm going to use the current uh, racial uprisings that are happening as of this recording to make my case. Um, so part of the part of it is that black people like it shouldn't be our responsibility to to educate white people like it's there is there there, there is more than enough anti-racism resources and books and you like it's out there the question is whether you want to make the conscious decision to learn about people that don't look like you or share your cultural background so 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 part of the narrative then becomes all right with my white colleagues who some of them mean well absolutely but they have to take the lead um first of all change starts with you and so and so part of it is okay my white colleagues, I need you all to speak up. Anytime there's any type of manifestation of racism, bigotry, discrimination, you know, racial microaggressions, whether it's personally or institutionally, we need you to talk with your white friends and colleagues and family. Like it's exhausting for black people, black and brown people, for us to have to constantly have to, um, uh, try to preserve our dignity as humans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And so I think so. It, it, everything rises and falls on leadership, mm-hmm. and leadership starts with you. Change starts with you. So if you if you are willing to learn um, and educate yourself about people that don't share your background and experience, um, then you're better able to educate and empower other people. Uh, who are who are more willing to listen to what you have to say? As black and brown people, like again, you know, we're tired. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and so it's it it's not so. Um, racism isn't isn't uh, a isn't uh, an issue isn't a black uh, person issue to fix. It's the structure that's in place, mm-hmm. and white people like they have to come along and start the journey to learn about their privilege, the power, the history, all of those things, um, and then speak up and speak out and be willing to be co-conspirators, not just allies. And that, and I'm, it's great if you wanna be, be an ally, great. But actually be willing to take the blows as well um, to advance and to disrupt and to dismantle systems that uh, have oppressed peoples around the world. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for saying that. I think there's a real lack of understanding around social pain, right? And that's kind of what you're saying. We're tired. We've experienced so much social pain that I don't, I want to teach. I'm excited about it. But if there's any sign of like right. unnecessary ignorance in that way, um, you know what, go read a book because you really don't want to mm-hmm. learn it from me because I'll tell you the right. truth, right? Yeah. And you want, you don't want to argue back with a book or you don't want to have some discussion that way. So I think that, and I don't mean you specifically, but I think I like the way that you use the word co-conspirators and it's not for negative, but it's for growth and it's for growing right. forward, right? Together. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Hmm. That's great. Wow, man, I could, I think we could chat for so long, so many more hours. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to, to hear as your closing remarks? Um, send them off. And, and just so everyone's aware, we will have all your um, credentials that you need to have up there on our blog, um, along with any links that you'd like to send me to make sure that our readers can connect with you um, effectively. Yeah, sure, sure. No, I think, you know, again, thank you. Thank you again for, for having me. This is definitely a very timely conversation. It's, 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 it's interesting because um, this this morning, I think if you have time, I can share a, a little Absolutely. bit from my journal because it, it, it's actually right in line with, with the seat at the table uh, concept. And I thought about this conversation this evening and I'm like, wow, this is very timely that the Lord knows what he's doing. And um, if I can find... Um, a, just a few sentences that I think um, also resonate. Yeah, I, as you're looking for it, I was thinking, you know, this is very timely. And a few days ago, I kind of just sat there in shock when I realized that I was having you on my show um, to be interviewed. And then just looking at the news and putting it all together and thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be so fun. And yet, such a great tool for folks to to kind of be refreshed by, re-energized, maybe challenged by, right? right. Um, for such a time as this, to quote one of my favorite Bible characters, Esther. Yeah, Esther. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, um, I found a few paragraphs. I'm just going to read, and this and this is my so I, I journal every day, and you know to really kind of sort through and process my thoughts and also also plug the fact that I see a black Muslim psychologist weekly it's important you know I always try to give space or, um, or give permission to lead by example as best as, as best as I can and I value and again that's a that's a that's a whole other conversation but I just want to just to share that I see a black male psychologist you know weekly to make sure that I'm sorting through my emotions and really having a safe space that I can unpack what's happening and especially now with all that's going on um so i just want to kind of just to make sure we heard you correctly did you just say you see a therapist every week to work through this stuff too yeah so so right so um but since i started my doctoral program um, a few years ago i've i've been i was intentional about again creating a self-care dream team Mm. and one of and 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 so one of the members of my self-care dream team is a black man psychologist okay right so that's the that's the context and that's um, great i think that that definitely um hooks holes at the stigma right yeah of mental health and it's saying what but what i'm hearing you say is you're intentional about your mental health and right. so you're protecting it by having a, a therapist that you can talk with and kind of process it out all this heavy 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 stuff yeah, right yeah, yeah it partnered with journaling so exactly. it's an opportunity to kind of keep the process going exactly there's a whole cadre of kind of self-care practices that I do, but, and journaling is one of them. And, um, can so you briefly list what your self-care practices are? Sure. Um, so, uh, it is, um, prayer, meditation, journaling, breathing, stretching, exercise, uh, my therapist, I see weekly, uh, reading, um, community service, obviously, uh, church, so you can kind of frame self-care as those those activities that really bring you joy yeah. and satisfaction, and just you know not not in an not in an addictive uh, or in a negative sense, but just sure. like very um, things that 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 you that kind of keep you grounded and centered, and really mm. help you to um, have a strong emotional quotient, you know, uh, and because it. It's all connected. Our, our minds, bodies, and spirits, emotions. That's are right. All connected. Very holistic. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So, so I wrote. This was. Uh, this was actually yesterday, uh, May thirty first. So, June is the June, and the coming months are quote unquote strategy months. And so, for context, this is the Lord speaking to me, right? So let me just so for so you can. So he said that uh, June and the coming months are quote-unquote strategy months where I am inviting my people to take a seat at the table I I prepared and to be involved in in preparing and partnering with me. Um, 
And then he told me again, because the Lord kind of, he speaks to me. If he says something at least twice, you know, I know like, like that's him. That's, I hear so, you. So, <laughs> Usually the second time I'm sitting on my butt right. going, uh, I uh, better do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he said kind of a little bit later in my, in my, in my meditation time was that he said to take your seat at the table set before you. This is the time of great strategy and preparation. Be one that is that is found ready. Um, and so those of us, I just want to pull those out because they, they had the actual verbiage to take a you know, seat at the table. And I think it was, it wasn't, it was very serendipitous and it wasn't by accident. I think that the Lord dropped this content in my spirit. I think because it's it's aligns with not just my my ministry slash business. Yeah. My also what you do as well. Yep. So yeah, well I appreciate that. Um any more closing thoughts? I mean that was a very encouraging thing and I really have enjoyed having you at my table today. Well thank you. No, I just um I'm again blessed to have this opportunity to to share. Um I um would look forward to perhaps more conversations somehow somehow or another down the road. Um, you know, I can definitely share more, but I think that, you know, um, that what was shared was was what was meant to be shared. Yes, I agree. And, um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity uh, to serve as a conduit, as a vessel. Um, and, you know, I'm excited for what's ahead. Yes, thank you. Me too. I look forward to having more conversations with you. And for our listeners, again, I want to make sure that you are aware that um, this whole uh, blog or podcast will be on my blog site as well, where we will share the links to OK's book, Indisputable, The Story of a Favored Son. And um, you'll be able to see his links where you can find his book and how you can get in contact with him and any other resources that he would like us to have on the uh, blog site as well. So we thank you for joining us. Um, we encourage you to keep doing your own personal work um, and keep, keep doing what you need to do to grow forward together. Have a great rest of your day. Blessings. Bye-bye.